I'm Scott, a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I'm in recovery from sex addiction, compulsive overeating. And uh, Debbie, some of that was my confusion on the date, so I apologize on our chip night. It is what, April 16th? April 12th. April 12th. It's somewhere around there. It's coming up, so put it on your calendar, be ready to go. But hey, if you're in junior high or high school, that means you're in the landing. Go ahead, you guys are dismissed, head on over to the venue, we got your stuff going on over there. Um, that is one of the 12 announcements that we forgot, so I apologize. I, uh, I, was, I turned to my wife and I'm like, how come when Debbie gets up there, she has like 19 announcements? And she's like waving to people, she's like, hey! It's awesome, I love it. Um, it cracks me up. So, but anyhow, Debbie, thank you for doing announcements. She's like, I'm never doing it again. Um, but hey, tonight I want to talk about addiction to recovery. Addiction to recovery. How do we go from our addictive selves to healthy recovery? How do we do that? Well, we can find addiction, we can find sin rooted in scripture, the truth, and we can go back to Genesis chapter three. You don't have this verse up there. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Hey, go ahead. Eat of the fruit, you're surely not gonna die. That's what we said when we took our first hit, huh? That's what we said when we first turned on the computer, huh? That's what we said when we took that first bite of pizza, huh? That's what we said. Huh? <laughs> right? We will not surely die. We always think, I'll, I'll go this, this far. I always think I'm the exception to the rule. I know it's 35, but I could surely go 55. <laughs> Woo! Ah, I know. And then I get mad at the guy for giving me a ticket when I'm the one going 20 miles an hour over. And then I'm like, hey, will you give me grace? <laughs> and he's all, I did. It was also a construction zone, so I didn't put that down, right? Um, so... Here's the thing, we, we see that, we lie to ourselves. Well, we see this in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king, there was no ruler, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Kind of sounds like today. Everyone wants to do what they want to do. That's just reality. And it causes problems. I think I've heard this phrase from a lot of people. I think I may have even used this phrase. I'll clean it up. I'm a grown man. I can do what I want to do. Oh, yeah. All the women are all, hallelujah. I know, it's awesome, right? Um, that's what happens is we, we think that, but we can't. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. We can choose to do whatever we want to do. We can do what we want. We can think we're the exception. But the end of that will lead us to death. James says it in different ways. And this is what, how James says it in James 1, 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth Death. I just like saying death. <laughs> that is reality. 
We want to keep doing what we want to do. We have those thoughts. We have that temptation. And that's going to give birth. When we entertain that, that's going to give birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, when it is out of control, when it is unmanageable, it will bring forth death. That's a sad thing. That's a tough thing. So I was reading, um, there's one author that I read, and this for my addiction, and when I was reading this author, every time I read any of his books, it was like he was talking just to me. Like, I'm like, how did you get in my brain and put my story in your book? And what's scary, because there's a lot of people out there like me, that's what, it, what I was realizing, is that's, that's freaky, but his name is Dr. Patrick Carnes, and I was reading in one of his books, Facing... Uh, the shadows, and in there it talks about an addictive system. I can say this is also a sin system. This is a sin cycle in our life that we have. And so it basically starts off like this. It starts off with our beliefs. I'm not talking about your religious beliefs. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about the core beliefs you have, agreements that you make with the world. At the age of two, when you're sticking the fork into the light socket and your parents say no, and they smack your hand, right? That, that's what happens sometimes. The beliefs when that happens. I believed that I, at my core, was, was bad. The beliefs that we have, this is the belief system that I grew up with, and I don't know if you find this similar or not, but this is the belief I had about myself, that I am basically a bad and unworthy person. No one would love me as I am. If you truly knew me and you knew my fourth step, you wouldn't be my friend. You would reject me. You would go away from me. And that that uh, proved true in my life. When I was growing up and there was multiple, multiple times I tried to get out of the sin that I was stuck in. And I was found with rejection. I was found with abandonment. I was found with hurt and pain. And so that was what I started to believe. Not even as an infant, but now in high school and college, that when I would confess my sin, which is what scripture would tell me, I was was met with hurt and pain and rejection and abandonment. So if you truly knew me, you would reject me. And if you reject me, then my needs are never going to get met. If I have to depend upon others and depend upon you, they're never going to get met. So what is my? I, so that means I have to meet my own needs. And what is my greatest need? Well, I thought it was sex. Whatever it is that it takes you to get your ultimate high, your ultimate fix. What's your drug of choice? Is it meth? Is it heroin? Marijuana? Porn? What is that drug of choice? Is it pizza? Cheez-Its? Is it a food? Is it a gambling? Is it to get that ultimate win? To win the lottery? What is that ultimate fix for you? That high that you have? What alcohol is it? What alcohol is it? Or... Is it that everybody around you is under control and they look like they're good? If everybody's under control, they got their grades dialed in, 
They're doing well. They're showing up. They're doing good in everything that I think they should be. They got their chores done, all that stuff. They're not talking back. There's no detentions, no suspensions. All is right in the world and things are perfect. What is that ultimate fix for you? For the co-addict, it may be this, or codependent, it may be this, that you're not good enough. You're not good enough to please other people. That at your core, you're basically worthless. Maybe for those that are married to a sex addict, it's that you're not pretty enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not good enough. Well, our belief system impairs our thinking. And we go to an impaired thinking process. That impaired thinking affects us and is based all upon our belief system. So when I try out for a sport and I don't get the starting position for that sport and I'm standing on the sidelines during the game and not playing, well, it's because I'm worthless. It's not because the other guy happens to be better, not because I haven't practiced, not because anything, it's because I'm worthless. We didn't get that job, right? We don't have, we didn't get into that nursing program, well, it's because I'm worthless. Whatever it may be, it starts to impair our thinking. That person rejected us. It, all that kind of starts to impair our thinking. For the co-addict, it may be this. If I stay attractive enough, then maybe he, they'll stop looking. Well, he can't help it. Or she can't help it. If I give enough, then he will love me. Or she will love me. If I just do enough chores around the house, if I just clean enough, if I just make the house peaceful enough, then it'll happen. Well, here's the thing is that belief system happens and impairs thinking. That starts to get us into what we call the addictive cycle. The addictive cycle is based upon four different things. The first thing is this, is preoccupation. It starts with being preoccupied. For the addict, it's me, and it can, it can last seven, ten days. It can be a commercial I see on TV, which nowadays we don't really have commercials unless you're watching a sporting event, Right? I do remember back in the day, the Carl's Jr. ads, right? I would see it on a Thursday and I would remember it on a following Wednesday because it was that preoccupation. That preoccupation is that thought that gets planted and we can't get it out of our mind. And it's just there and it's there. And the more we think about it, the more we dwell upon it, the bigger and bigger and bigger it gets. And it grows and it festers until we can't do anything but act upon it. For those that may be anorexic, sexual anorexic or food anorexia is this, for the, the sexual anorexic, yes, that is a thing, is he gonna want to have sex? Because if we hug, we, it might start something. I don't wanna show affection because if I show affection, that may encourage him to start to be intimate and I'm scared of that intimacy. So I'm gonna do whatever I can to keep that distance and control that. Preoccupied with those thoughts as he's starting to come home from work and how are you gonna plan these things out? We start to get preoccupied in how we're gonna do stuff. For the codependent, it's this. Here we go again. He promised he wouldn't be late. Is he with somebody else? Is he lying? Is he at the bar? All that kind of stuff. Those are the thoughts that go through the head. That preoccupation only lasts so long until we get into our ritualization. And ritualization is basically what do we need to do to get our ultimate high? What are the things that we have to do? For everybody, it's going to be a little bit different. 
For the drug addict, there's a certain process they go through. For the sex addict, there's a certain process they go through. But it all basically comes down to what are the things that you need to do? In the height of my addiction, it was me finding time, blocking off days, hours, whatever it was, finding a large, uh, a large amount of money or maxing out my credit card, finding out where I'm going to be able to get that money from, going to the right stores to buy the magazines, to buy the uh, stuff that I needed, and then going to finding time and a location where I could look at the stuff I needed. That was my rituals. That, those were my things that I did. What are the rituals that you do or you have done in your addiction? What, were, what did that look like? For me, it's I sit down and I, I have my food in front of me and there's a certain ritual I gotta do, especially if I go eat sushi. I sit down, I get my soy sauce, I get the wasabi, I get the right perfect amount of wasabi in there, I gotta stir it just perfectly, right? Just gotta get the right mixture. If it's all chunky, I, I don't like that, so it's gotta be nice and smooth. And um, I gotta have it just right. There's certain rituals in how I eat. For the anorexic, uh, the sexual anorexic, it's pushing them away or white knuckling it, distancing themselves, causing fights and disruptances, disruptances so that the person stays away and keeps their distance. For the co-addict, it's trying to distract themselves and what are the things they do? They clean house, they check on them, they police them, they overwork, they stay busy, they check the uh, Find Your Friend app or Life360 or whatever it is to find out where they're actually at. Well, that eventually leads into the compulsive behavior. The compulsive behavior for the sex addict is acting out, right? For the addict, that's exactly what is drinking that alcohol, using whatever it is, it's that using. For the anorexic, it's, it's acting out, but instead of acting out, it's acting inwardly. It's causing that hurt and pain and re, re, it's ultimately refusing your body from the things that it needs, from the food, from the intimacy of somebody else. For the co-addict, it's the external, external control. The internal avoidance and withdrawal from everybody else and from yourself, but exter externally controlling everything around you. Well, what does that lead us to when we finally use? It leads us to despair. And that despair is filled with guilt and shame. You may have known what this feels like after you use that guilt of what you just did. The shame when you hang your head. The not wanting to look your spouse in the eyes. The hurt and pain that comes with that. And then what happens is after you start to deal with the guilt and shame and you start to get out of that cloud, that brings us up back up to the top circle and you realize this one thing, your life is unmanageable. Your life is unmanageable. You can't do anything to control it. The people around you are absolutely bonkers and you can't control them. Your life is in so much chaos because of your addiction, because of your drinking, because of your using, because of your sex addiction, because of your gambling, because of whatever it is that causes that hurt and pain. Your health is so out of whack because you eat so much and you can't control yourself around food. Your health is unmanageable. And you're spending all your time going to the doctor's offices and stuff like that. 
You realize that there's divorce right there at the door. Your wife just left you. Your husband just left you. There's extreme loneliness. There's depression. You just lost a job. You lost relationships. Friends won't hang out with you anymore. They stop wanting to be with you. Maybe you got arrested. Maybe you've gone to jail. Maybe you had an accident. Maybe you got your DUI and you're in here having to go to recovery meetings because you got to get a court card signed. We realize that our life has become unmanageable. And we don't know what to do about it. Well, that's why we get in recovery. That's the addiction cycle. Now, that may sound like your life. It sounded a whole lot like my life. But as I started to go through recovery, I started to believe and remember what Romans says. Well, actually, Proverbs 26, 11 says this, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. But the recovery system, we start to rebuild our belief system. We renew our mind. And this is how we do that. As we look at our beliefs, our beliefs change. And the first thing that it changes is this, is that God, he has made us in his own image. God made us. Genesis chapter one, verse 27 says this. Bless you. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God made you. Do you believe that? I hope you do. God loves you. John 3.16 tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John also tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died on the cross for us. Or actually, that was Paul in Romans, sorry. God will meet our, meet our needs. We don't have to meet our own needs. We won't get rejected. God will meet our needs. Matthew chapter six, verse 33 says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Not only does that happen, but now intimacy can be reached with God and with others. There's a great relationship in the Bible between John and David. John was the son of Saul. Saul was the king. Jonathan was the prince. And by right, he should have been king, the next king. But God saw it different, and it was going to be David. I'm going to talk about, if I was Jonathan, I'd be some serious jealous rocking right now. But they loved each other. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. The intimacy that we find there. The closeness. And I've only found intimacy like that from these rooms. We're able to find that intimacy in here. And what is our greatest need? We start to realize it. Our greatest need isn't sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever it is. Our greatest need is what? It's God. It's God. And I'm gonna go to a different verse than I have up on the screen. But it says this in Psalm 27, verse four. This is uh, David crying out to God. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That we would 
crave to be with God. And that becomes our passion, our desire. And that is our greatest need, is to be with God, to have intimacy with him. Well, when we change our thoughts, we change our beliefs, guess what? Our impaired thinking changes. And instead of being impaired, it's now empowered thinking. We get empowered because we know who we are in Christ. We know who we are in God. And therefore, that changes how we think and how we believe. So when we go into situations, well, of course I got a speeding ticket. You know, that whatever. It, no, it doesn't go like that. It goes way different. We start to be empowered by how God is changing us and moving us. And we start to understand when we're empowered and we make a mistake. We're able to actually take ownership of that mistake and take responsibility for our own actions. And not blame other people for that. But we're saying, yeah, I made a mistake, but I am not a mistake. Not only does it empower us, but it also is not just a, it's a renewal cycle that takes us to a renewal cycle. And that renewal cycle is built and is started with this. Instead of being preoccupied with something, you actually get focus. I got guys that come into my office and they go, I have to make an inventory? Holy cow, I can't remember anything. Almost every addict that comes in my office tells me this, I have a poor memory. You know Why? Because you got all these chemicals in your brain that are keeping you from thinking. Let's get some sobriety and things will start to get back into your mind. And so there starts to be focus. Focus on what? The good things. Focus on God. Focus on the steps. Focus on truth. Focus on relationships. Focus on your recovery. Focus on the day. Not only the focus, but then it gets into rituals, but not bad rituals, not those bad habits, which we all remember and we all knew, but good rituals like waking up in the morning and spending time with God. Like making those three phone calls a day that we make, like calling our sponsor, like doing those things that we're called to do by actually having a plan for the day, like going to a meeting, like talking to other people, not talking to your dealer, but talking to your sponsor, talking to your accountability partners, doing the things that we're called to do. When we're faced with trial, we have a ritual that's already been set up and we have focus already going on. So when we're hit with trial, guess what? We have the tools to be able to face that temptation and we're not led to sin. That leads us to our recovery zone and our behavior zone. And that means we hit stride. That means we're doing really, really good. And that, instead of bringing forth guilt and shame, but it starts to bring forth affirmation and integrity in our life. That we're affirmed because we made it past that temptation and we're doing good. We made it past that trial and we didn't fall. We drove past that bar and we didn't go in. And we get integrity because we start to have time not using. And I know it's difficult in homes where we've always told the person, this is my last time, I swear. I swear. Our spouses are tired of it. I get it. But the more and more you do the right thing on these days and you start to build your serenity and you start to build up your recovery program, what happens is that you start to get integrity once again with your spouse. It takes a while to get there. It's not an overnight thing. It takes a journey. 
but you will gain integrity. And then when that happens, we, instead of looking at our life and going, hey, my life is unmanageable, we look at our life and we've built resilience. Why? Because we didn't build our foundation upon the sand, but we built our foundation upon God and his word and his truth and that rock is there to hold us. And when the storm comes, we, get, we don't get blown away. And here's the thing, that has been one of the best things that I could have understood in my recovery was understanding my addiction cycle, understanding when I'm going wacky. Understanding the phrases that I tell myself to lead me down a path that is unhealthy. No one's gonna know, right? Oh, you can hide it, right? Those types of things, I've lied to myself over the years. But once I realized the things that I started to tell myself, I started to find some health and victory in my life. And I hope that tonight you can take this addiction cycle and start to apply the recovery cycle to your life and that you can start to find healing by using the 12 steps and the biblical comparisons. So we're getting ready to start back up after we do the chip night. We're gonna get ready to start back up teaching through the 12 steps again and you won't wanna miss that. But let's stand and close with the serenity prayer and we'll head off the group. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever the next. Amen. Amen. Hey, first time guest right across the hallway. Second time guest right up front. Other than that, love you guys. See you guys at dessert. Stick around. Go to group.